The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Paul Rudy with Paul Rudy's On the Money radio show. I'm here with one of my regular guests in the studio, Dr. Fred Gertz. Dr. Fred, glad to have you here. Yeah, good to be back in person. Live and in person. I'm happy about that. I'm going to turn my earphones down a little bit. I have financial advisor, Ryan Repko, who works with me at Rudy Wealth Management. Ryan, I heard you had a fun night last night. Oh, yeah. We got to see virtually every hour last night, so good morning. (laughs) He's in the throes of the babydom. Uh, Call in with your questions at 356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 351-5357. We also want to welcome those tuning in on Facebook Live. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. Get that out of the way, guys. Well, welcome. Uh, Fred, not as much talk about recession. No. Uh, six, uh, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, uh, it was right around the corner. The markets were and looked like they were in horrible shape. We had the worst December, I think, in if not all of history and modern history, uh, followed by, uh, oddly enough, the best January, I think, uh, to show you how things can go. Do you suppose, uh, well, I wondered, I felt like uh, that, I'm gonna call it a 20% decline uh, the last month or so of the year last year, which I'm gonna call a bear market in stocks. Um, Maybe it was overdone. Maybe it just didn't align with reality. And maybe there was a lot of this high frequency in hedge fund trading. And uh, it it seems like as quickly as it went down, calmer minds prevailed and said, wait a minute, it doesn't really look, looks like the economy is still strong. And right after that, we had one of the stronger uh, employment uh, numbers. Uh, Retail sales are still good. Manufacturing still strong and expansionary. Seemed like none of the data was was willing to go along with the the pessimistic views that were kind of taking over the stock market. Right. Well, there's a big difference between a recession and a slowdown. I think it's clear that uh, people believe that the economy is going to grow somewhat less rapidly in 2019 than it did uh, last year. So uh, that, that's probably built into the uh, expectations, but that's a long ways from having a recession. So uh, we were very likely will be above 3% for the year 2018, which is very unusual in uh, recent years. This year, uh, m- most, uh, I think, pr- uh, people looking forward think about uh, 2.5% or something of that sort. So that's a, not, not good news, but it's clearly far short of a, a recession. So right now, I think the, the uh, indications are slower growth, but still pretty strong. And again, you can't really match things up. Like last year was... Uh, the strongest uh, growth year in quite a long time, but yet right. the market didn't do a whole lot right. last it's year. Actually so down for the, the, year, yeah. the market is, is forward-looking, so maybe that's all been built in. The one thing that's uh, a little bit uh, unclear is whether uh, the delaying of uh, future interest rate uh, increases may have uh, bolstered the stock market as well. I was going to make one thing that we uh, – maybe uh, Mia Kalpa that uh, – we always talk about not timing the market right. and make, make fun of the January effect, but this year, <laughs> this year actually there was a January effect, but you can't, a very, a you quite can't strong count, one. Yeah. You can't count on it. So that's the issue. you can't really. It's not one of those things we talk about. A lot of these kind of effects, 
you know, Sal and May go away. Yeah. Uh, all these things. They all sound kind of interesting. But and they work, they work every once in a while. They work every once in a while. It's a, but, you know, it all gets back to uh, they're kind of irrelevant. And uh, if you're going to be the owner of the great companies of America and the world, you really need to think about holding those for a lifetime. Uh, a- any need for money less than five years, would, to me, would disqualify money being invested in the stock market. Um, I want to get to the state of Illinois a little bit, and, but I'm going to preface it with uh, kind of an observation from last week uh, where Governor Cuomo <laughs> suddenly found himself with a 2 or $3 billion shortfall and recognizing that, wait a minute, these rich people that we're taxing and I'm not. I'm trying to stay away from the politics here. So these, I'm paraphrasing. You're saying, "Well, yeah. wait a minute. Uh, these are very mobile people. Mm-hmm. We can't afford to lose mm-hmm. any more of these rich people." And it appears that some of the rich people are are, are leaving. Yeah. Um, that takes me. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that well, by itself, they're, but they're, uh, they are. But again, uh, certain places like uh, New York City and uh, Chicago have uh, great locational advantages, yeah. so they have some. Uh, flexibility in the sense that uh, uh, the advantages are so great that they can raise taxes to a certain extent, but there's also a, a tipping point at some place. And again, uh, listeners may not know it, but uh, there, there are special rules about uh, uh, how long you can be in the state without having to pay the income tax. So New York has very strict rules that people have to keep track uh, uh, almost every day about where they are. People are very aware of that. So a lot of people already have uh, made the uh, choice of not uh, being 180 days plus in New York City for a year. Right. And it gets very burdensome. For example, if you're in New York City, it counts against you. But if you land in Newark and take a taxi to uh, JFK, it doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, that kind of stuff is, shows that people really are aware of uh, of these kind of uh, issues. Now, if you're going to do it, you really need to yep. do it. It really needs to be your intention to live yep. elsewhere. Uh, right. I think Illinois is pretty strict, too. Uh, though right. I've had a, a, a pretty significant number of, cl- of clients of my own that have moved to either Texas or Florida right? Uh, and, and seem to seem to be making that work just now, you have to You have to move to a non-income tax state because if you're a retiree, retirement income isn't taxed in Illinois, so right. if, unless... Uh, you have a lot of uh, uh, non-qualified income. Right. It doesn't make any sense to do that. But and again, there, there are always pluses and minuses. So uh, sometimes there are higher property taxes in uh, states that don't have a, an income tax. And where are we as far as your outlook for the state of Illinois in the near term and then over the next couple of decades? I think just uh, uh, muddling along uh, in, in the short run, it's not clear what uh, 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 Prist is going to do in terms of the administration. And again, uh, I, I'm not sure whether it's simply a delaying tactic or whether they actually want to do it, but when they talk about raising revenue, uh, they always talk about uh, uh, 98% of people getting a tax cut and 2% pay more like you were talking about. Yeah. But that kind of change is going to take over two years. Uh, people may not aware, be aware that you can't simply, uh, the General Assembly and the governor can't simply pass a, a graduated income tax to uh, tax millionaires. There's a three-stage process. First of all, it has to be a, a constitutional amendment has to be approved to allow it. That requires the uh, House and Senate to approve it. Uh, then it has to go to the voters. That has to be approved by a 60 percent uh, uh, majority. And then if that's done, and that would be done uh, in 2020, they still have to pass the law of uh, the tax. So it's a, it's two a long year, game. Two-year process. And again, uh, uh, all Democrats are not uh, ultra left wing 
people so to, to get the Democrats to go on board, the, the, the number they have to have to pass it is not an automatic thing as far as the General Assembly is concerned. So I think that's a long ways away. Uh, there, there are other people like the, uh, the business group in Chicago su- suggested simply a, a general tax increase of 1% or so. And uh, that's uh, still up in the air and not likely to happen. So I, I think not, not much is going to happen in the short term in Illinois. We'll go along with the same kind of problem, uh, being a little bit short, uh, have a deficit, plus the overhang of the pensions. Now, the 20-year period uh, is a different issue. And, again, there's the old saying that uh, if something can't go on forever, it uh, has to end sometime. And that's the argument about Illinois. But it's gone on for a long time and it hasn't ended. So my view is it will make some steps towards uh, getting a, a equilibrium but not a full thing. So I think it's going to be a long period of kind of uh, uh, muddling through, getting through, making some changes, but never a change enough to – Get things exactly uh, on the right track. Yeah, it just uh, it, it's, it strikes me that higher taxes are coming, whether you're for it or against it. Uh, I because I, I, I don't really have any idea of the real scope. Mm-hmm. Assume all things being equal, you know, which is not a good assumption. But let's just go with that. Just try to get some sense of proportionality. If there was a increase from approximately five percent current tax rate in Illinois to six. Does that by itself close the gap in the budget? It would go a long ways. Uh, the The kicker is, though, that uh, tax increases don't uh, occur magically. So to get them approved, you have to throw in a bunch of, of uh, pork to get people to vote that way. So typically, uh, the, the worst case was back in the late uh, 80s. We had a uh, increase of like a ten percent increase in taxes, and we had like a fifteen percent increase in spending. So if you increase your spending to eat up uh, some or all of the uh, tax increases, it get, get you very uh, very far. But if you had a clean sort of one uh, percent increase and no big increases in spending, you probably could manage fairly well. I talked about the big decline uh, last year going into the end of the year from peak to trough was of about twenty percent in the market and. Uh, and really, if I look from Christmas Eve to its highs of last week, uh, we recovered in the Standard & Poor's 500 Index, which is a measure of the 500 largest companies in yeah. the United States. Kind of gives us a proxy for corporate America, Inc. Mm-hmm. It was up more than 16%, and the NASDAQ Index was down. I mean, it was up about the, almost 20%. It's given a little bit of that back, but well, how quickly yeah. uh, that has changed. Yeah, and, and people don't, probably don't uh, enter in their, their dividends and, and right. so on. So. Uh, uh, even though we're below the all-time high, I suspect a lot of people's uh, portfolio is close to the all-time a, a lot high. closer than the than just the price index itself. Yep. And then I noticed that over the past three months, investors have moved uh, money their money into safety of bonds and out of equities at unpre- unprecedented degree. Over forty-five billion dollars poured into fixed income, so you know income-producing money markets, uh, right. bond funds, etc., exchange-traded funds. Meanwhile, investors pulled around twenty-five billion out of stock market. This is not the behavior, uh, you know, when you're near all-time highs, when you see unprecedented. Some to me, it seems to me a little bit of a contrary indicator. And I tell the guys at work, I said that's just not how bull markets end. Yeah. Is when when at the first sign of trouble. Uh, almost record amounts of money uh, exits the stock market and goes into safe haven such as short-term high-quality fixed income. Money market funds now are up at a $3 trillion balance level. Uh, you know, not too long ago they were at $2 trillion. Uh, It suggests to me 
uh, just big picture stuff here. And again, it's it's not usable information. It's not something you can say, "Oh, I'm going to go out and buy stocks because of what we're what I'm about to say." Just the big picture, thirty five years in me says, "Wow, this just isn't typically how bull markets end." That's not right. that type of psychology around great bull markets right. ending. And and last year uh, when we reached the highs, there wasn't a mania. No no one was saying. Uh, I've got, got to get in because it's going to be too late. It right. sort of crept up to the, the highs and then fell back a little bit. But there wasn't the uh, the kind of uh, situation like in the uh, 90s about you, you got to get in or you're going to miss the, the uh, dot-com explosion and that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, you know, people uh, that weren't – I have a lot of advisors uh, that I know, oh, that have come into the business in the last 10 years or what or 15 years and they always want to talk about 2008 2009 how most investors just couldn't make it through that uh, I, I, i'm always reminded of the late 90s when it was actually a more difficult period to deal with investors <coughs> because the the standard and poor's 500 index just a no-brainer stock index mm-hmm. corporate america inc five years in a row had a return of 20 percent plus per year right and in a globally broadly diversified portfolio was earning maybe 10 or 12 uh, as I look back at my 35 years, that was actually more stressful period than 2008, 2009 from a behavior standpoint. So, yeah, it, uh, was, it was tough for investors to uh, stay the course, and tough for you probably to get them to do that. But right. it was even tougher for uh, value managers. There were uh, managers who had had a you know 20, 30 years of uh, pretty good performance, right. and they believed what they were doing, but they were taking a beating uh, in the 90s, and some of them actually. Went out of business yeah. and just couldn't compete. Some of the long timers, yeah, uh, and we're tilted sixty percent towards value. So we certainly had uh, some impact with my clients. Certainly, were feeling that too, which is why yeah. uh, it was a that was really a pressure cooker. But that, that gets kind of goes back to what I'm saying. When I think about that bull market, how it ended, it was clearly one of those things where you know everybody believed there was a god and he wanted us to all be rich, or she. Uh, and uh, the heck with diversification. That's the loser's game. Buy and hold. Forget that. We're just going to day trade. We're going to buy three hot stocks. Uh, and then, of course, we had a 50% broad U.S. market decline uh, over the next few years. Uh, just so just, I was just thinking of that big picture when I saw that data that uh, it's been an interesting couple of months. Um, there was some worry I noticed in a, a handful of clients that I had, uh, but again, kind of like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, but a different magnitude uh, for sure. But also, the, the uh, I think I say this almost every time, but the, the the length of the time it took to recover is very short, and that's right. that's not the way the world always works. Sometimes you don't get back to where you were for uh, years, years, and decades. And, yeah, uh, as, as you always have to think. I mean, that is the, one of the risks that we we talk about when we have, if we're going to have ownership of the great companies of America and the world. Uh, you can't have too much recency bias. You really have to take a much longer view to get a get an idea of what the landscape is. And and to me, there's no lock that over the next thirty years that you're going to produce a positive return. It's highly likely that you will, but you yeah. know that that there are risks there. There have to be for the premium returns, and it's that unpredictability. And it clearly is is unpredictable as ever. I'm going to switch gears a little bit with Valentine's Day coming up. Ryan, is, uh, I know you wrote an article, a blog, as we call them, um, uh, in the, about fi- uh, financial acts of love in a financial uh, blog that you wrote. 
Uh, was it Valentine's Day that made you go there? Yeah, it was Valentine's Day. It was Cupid and his arrow and hearts flying around my head. And it was also Paul Jr. who thought, wow, what a great topic for the week. Oh, you know, our marketing guy. Our marketing guy, yeah. So (laughs) He's always trying to think of, well, he's uh, part of his job is to kind of get on, you know, take a pulse of what he's Mm -hmm. hearing and seeing out there and and trying to be timely. And uh, he's been very effective at at that. Uh, We've gained a lot of recognition for a lot of the blogs you guys have written, for sure. Um, So it's clearly working. Uh, so that but that motivated you and i noticed the first one and i'm going to go through them kind of in my way when we think of these gifts uh if if we've you know when i look at the millionaire millionaire next door type clients that we have frugal people uh good savers which means they weren't big spenders and all of a sudden they look down and they may have you know a million dollars or 800 whatever that amount is it's a substantial sum of money for people that lived a pretty modest life and they have the ability to they have such a critical mass compared to their mass compared to their needs that that's where we get into these conversations about well what else might you want to do if you're not going to spend it all and it's clear that you're not going to spend it all which is not uncommon in our in our practice Mm -hmm. um that's where it gets to okay well let's lead with the heart here a little bit and let's start brainstorming or just kind of spitballing what are some of the things that we might want to do? And we look at some of the great goals of life. There aren't that many when you think of a, fa- a family and financial planning, the great goals of life. But one of them clearly is education. Will my grandchildren receive the education that my children received? And so that was your first one, education. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think it's a, it's a common place to start for a lot of folks. If, Like as you say, they, they look down at their account balance and they say, I can't or I don't want to spend this money or my DNA simply wouldn't allow it, then they start thinking about how could I maybe help my family out a little bit or maybe provide us some sort of legacy that that is valuable to me and that is through possibly assisting with funding of an education. And there's a couple ways you can do it. Um, the two options I wrote about in my blog were uh, the funding of a 529 plan, which is just a, a plan that is available in every state in the United States. It allows for tax-deferred growth of the money and its sole purpose is for funding a college education. Uh, and recently, through the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it was expanded beyond just college education, but now the funds can also be used for uh, private schools, uh, both elementary and high school as well. Uh, but I know in our state, uh, Illinois outlawed that provision, which is interesting. Uh, so you have to be mindful of even at the state level. Um, it's not something you can do, but college education is one of those great ideas that a lot of people want to help fund and and i'm kind of jumping a little bit here ryan and but we're going to go back to it but i just want to pull fred in here because i know fred that this is something that obviously you've lived uh, and so one of the ones ryan wrote about is contributing to causes that are near and dear to your heart now i know that you guys i know you do lots of giving whether it's anonymous or in your name but i, I think of the gertz gallery at parkland college is is that one of those things as you you look at your critical mass or you reflect on your life that you just say hey we, we have the ability to not only if we want to or need to help our children i don't know if that's the case for you and it's it's none of my business but obviously beyond that uh you and donna had a discussion of what else might we do and and uh, t- kind of walk me through how that happens just well, in your uh, world i think uh, part of it is an accident that uh uh, when I started saving a long time ago, maybe I, was, uh, I thought the more the better. Maybe you end up with uh, more than you actually 
ever expected to have. Again, uh, the idea of compound interest is pretty, pretty amazing. So yeah. you put in, you know, ten thousand dollars thirty years ago in an account is one hundred fifty two thousand. Now you think, well, that's amazing, but it's really just four, five, six percent a year and add, right. adding yeah, up. But anyway, it, so the resources were there, and uh, we've you know, made provisions in terms of. Uh, college education for the ch- grandchildren. So these are options that were available. And again, the uh, the tax. I don't think the taxes were the driving factor. They're I was going to ask you not, about not, that. Uh, not insignificant. And and nowadays uh, it sort of changed that. Uh, uh, up until recently, uh, I've been operating pretty much through a charitable gift fund, uh, where you donate to the fund and then it gives you flexibility about when you uh, take it out so you get the deduction. When you Is that through it. one of the major firms? Yeah, fidelity. Okay, so what uh, Dr. Fred's talking about is uh, there's called donor advised funds where if you're not quite sure today uh, what charitable cause that you might want to give to but yet you want to put some money to work towards that, you can use it. what's called a uh, donor advised fund and the, all the major firms have them, Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity, you name it. And it allows you to just invest that money today, take your tax deduction if you're going to be itemizing a tax deduction. And then down the road, every now and then, when you have an idea that hits you that you'd like to give to a particular cause, it's a true charitable 501c3 organization. You let them know, and then they send money to them. Yeah, you actually have to go through a a few uh, hurdles or uh, hoops to get that. Uh, You don't have total control, but as long as it meets their guidelines, which it almost always does, it's probably the one thing you can't uh, get anything back from the charity. Right. So if, if you get donated and you get a, a, a ticket lavish or, dinner or something yeah. like that, you can't do that. But anyway, but the things have changed a little bit now because uh, you probably talked about it with uh, tax issues, but the uh, uh, standard deduction has, has increased substantially, twenty-four to $26,000 now. So uh, in, in most cases, uh, people who used to itemize may not itemize anymore. Right. So. Uh, the strategy of uh, of giving to a donor ad- advised fund it still works if you're giving a large amount, but it doesn't give you any tax advantages for a small amount. So the option now is to donate from a, an IRA. Right. So if you donate from an IRA, you can uh, deduct up to $100,000 a year, uh, and it counts against your required minimum right. distribution. The kicker there, though, is you can't uh, go from an IRA into a charitable gift a donor advised funds, you have to go directly right. to the uh, organization. So a, a lot of donations may be going directly, but that raises another problem that the uh, the uh, people that manage the uh, 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 retirement accounts aren't exactly well equipped to operate like a, a donor advised fund. Right. So I run into some problems where made donations and the IRS they didn't pick it up and I had to have to substantiate it. So it's a little bit uh, more of a hassle to do that now, but for tax advantages, uh, you have to go, and you can't go from a 403B right. or a 401 k It has to be an IRA. Right. To do and that. You, and you have to go directly to the firm. And you have to keep very good records because uh, I've never had an issue about the donor advice funds, but I have had some issues about. Uh, so if you're doing the qualified charitable distribution right. through your IRA, just keep really good records. I think they, they're doing a better job now at tracking it. The first I think year so. I think they've uh, I think they've ironed it out. I haven't heard in the last year or two. I haven't heard of any issues from clients that are doing it. I have an awful lot of clients that are doing. Well, that. I had to go. Through, this was for several years ago, but it was a fairly elaborate kind of uh, process. But anyway, it's taken care of. But again, that doesn't work for. You know, fifty dollar donations very, very it's well. It's little. It's more. It, yeah. yeah, it's difficult to put off. It's it's it, what it really allows you to do is uh, kind of bunch up. Maybe if you're gonna, I tell people whether they're gonna itemize them or not. You know what it 
what makes sense sometimes is to lump them together. Right. If I've made a, if I've made a pledge to a church or a temple or some institution of five year of at ten thousand a year, uh, if you can swing it, you know, how about doing the fifty thousand in one year and, yeah. and having that discussion? But even that, you only get half the. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, and so the next one, Ryan, was life's curveballs. In other words, uh, having that critical mass, um, life shows up. Sometimes it's people we love, children, grandchildren, brothers, what relatives, whatever, uh, that may uh, come upon a, an emergency situation or a crisis situation or just a, a crisis situation, at least from a financial standpoint. And it, gives the ability to iron out some of those wrinkles. Is that where you were going with that? Certainly. And I know it's one thing I've stolen from you is so much of our job is smoothing out wrinkles or smoothing right. out these these events that pop up. And we spend a lot of our time doing that. And I think that's where a, a good advisor provides value to a client. Uh, but you can give uh, $15,000 a year for an individual to any individual that, that you would like. It doesn't have to be family member. Uh, and if you're a married couple, uh, you can double that amount and give up to $30,000 to anybody in any given year without having to file a gift tax return. And if you want or need to give more, it's certainly okay. You can still give more than that 30000 or the 15000 if you're an individual, um, but you just have to file the gift tax return. And it's just it's tracked against your lifetime gift, uh, giving. And uh, chances are for most folks, you will not have to pay any gift tax on that because the, the gift tax level is very, very high. You, uh, through 2025, you can give $11.4 million for an individual or double that amount to roughly $23 million for a married couple. So if you have that amount of mass... Um, well, I think there's a lot of confusion. I, I get it uh, almost monthly where someone... Uh, most people, I'm convinced, believe that the maximum you can give somebody is 15000 mm -hmm. in a given year. And what you're saying is, no, you can give more than that. You just have to track it against Precisely. your lifetime exemption. And it's just a form your accountant fills out that says, look, I, I gave $50,000 to my son uh between the two of us uh we could give them 30 between a, a married couple but we gave 20 above that so that 20,000 above it is just tracked against your lifetime yeah. exemption now that's pretty simple too if uh if it works out if you have a a, a family of a husband and wife and two yeah. children and you're a husband and wife you could give huge amounts then because you can give it uh each spouse can give to the uh, two spouses plus the children are so going to end up giving probably uh, $100,000 or more a year if you really want to. I think most people uh, yeah. don't want to do that. <laughs> Very few people are able to, but I, I do get a number of clients that are in that position and, and do not infrequently do that. Um, another one is spending more, and this is a real common one, uh, and this sort of all gets into the purpose of retirement, having a purpose, but one of them clearly that's communicated to us all the time is spending more time with the people we love uh not only do we have the flexibility if we're retired if we have the financial means to do that um it, it kind of means that one of the reasons it's a personal thing for me i have two sons as you know down in uh, the dallas the texas area daniel in the uh, in the city and paul in the colony texas and so my wife and i got an apartment in plano texas and we opened a small office down there that's just one of those things. Uh, that's what money can do for you if you're if you're blessed enough to have the flexibility of that, you know, enough money to do that type of thing. Um, where were you going with that in your blog? Uh, simply that, you know, if if you have the money and the wherewithal, what is the purpose of your retirement? And I think for a lot of folks um, who value family, 
that's the time that maybe you can either catch up on some of the time that you would have liked to spend ordinarily with family that work may have prevented you from doing or just have the ability to see uh, the world or, or take trips. Are but, you saying that Fred has this lifetime of guilt? And that's why he's down <laughs> in Plano, Texas, visiting his son all the time? I think he likes visiting his yeah. son down there. Plus, is the that, weather's nicer. Is that kind of put that for you, you know, as far as you're not completely retired, you're a very active person, but yeah. I think a lot of people would look at you and say substantially you're retired, uh, but busy. Um, is it that is that one of the benefits uh, of having the money matched with the or the financial wherewithal matched with the flexibility and schedule? Yeah, the combination of uh, having the time is, the, I guess, the first thing, and then it's not a major issue to go away for a couple of weeks here or there. So again, I think that's that's correct. Uh, so uh, again, flexibility is like the whole thing, and it comes both in terms of flexibility with the time and flexibility with your finances. And kind of going back. Uh, Ryan, to that contributing to causes that are near, near and dear to your heart. Um, we deal with that a lot with our clients. Um, and, and I think many times they're surprised of what they actually can do compared to what they think they can do from a financial standpoint. And they, sometimes we have to get them to use their imagination. And, and I think it's one of the things we're going to talk about in the next section, um, in the, which are six questions to answer before you go into retirement. Um, part of it's that sense of purpose, et cetera. Um, where were you going? Where else were you going with that charitable? Is that just uh, just recognizing that a person has the ability to do that? What was your take on that? I think a lot of folks have uh, the desire to help out, not just family, but also in this case, maybe an institution that maybe helped form them, like the university or maybe their, their religious uh, church or synagogue. But they just think, oh, I can't afford to do that, or I don't have enough uh, that I could give to them. And I think one of the things that I've seen you do so well is, well, well, why not? Why can't you afford to do that? Yeah, well, you know, you'll hear me say, uh, are you saying that because you think you can't or you, you, you just don't want to? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's kind of how I phrase it. And, and usually the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it gets people's minds thinking. And I think more than anything, it gives them the ability to open up their, their thought process to, well, let's explore that. Let's open that door and see what it would look like if I could potentially give to a cause that mattered to me. All right, we're going to go to Rob on line one. I think Rob has an estate tax Illinois question. We're going to let Fred answer it. Rob, are you there? Yeah, I am. Yes, sir. Um, I had a question about the uh, state of Illinois estate tax. Yes. Is the level $4 million per La estate? Last I looked, it was $4 million. Now, it may have changed in the last month or two, but essentially I think that's a fair number to work off of at this point. And then what happens if you exceed the $4 million limit? Then it's a, it's a pretty good tax, and I don't recall what the tax it's, is off. It's not like uh, the federal where you're in a, no. a 30 or 40 percent rate. I think it's around it's, the 20 percent. <clears throat> but it's not insignificant. And, and the problem, it used to be that uh, planning for the federal allowed you to plan for the state, but now you have these two different thresholds, so it's a little bit uh, more challenging to do that. And so. I'm not sure it's portable either so that you can yep. play that between a husband and a wife yep. or a, a partner and a partner. Uh, like it is at the federal level. Yeah, so there's a question that uh, I don't know the answer to right now because I don't know the rates, but it's something you can't can't ignore if you expect to be up in the uh, uh, above four or five million dollars. Now we deal with this quite a bit with uh, some families. It's like, well, we're fine as far as uh, the federal, and they forget about the state of Illinois. We say, no, we still have to do some equalization, and we still have to do some things through an estate planning attorney. Uh, to prepare for the state of Illinois as well. It cannot be ignored. So if you're a, a married couple, 
uh, with a, an estate of you know eight million or more, depending on how it's divided in these issues, it's certainly something you want to talk with your CPA and or estate planning right. attorney. And, and, and again, uh, it's a question we don't know the answer to. But in the old days, uh, with the federal estate tax, you had to worry about the uh, two spouses and not leaving too much. And right. that, that's all uh, you know. Uh, a and B trust right. things of that sort. That's pretty much all gone now. It's all combined into one. But I'm not sure whether the state is. Yeah, that it's way not, or not portable that way in the state of Illinois. So it's something you really need to work around. Uh, any other questions, Rob? Uh, so you're thinking it's around twenty percent level. For I think so. I, I should know that off the top of my head. Uh, but I think it. I think it is. You could if you Google that in, in less than a minute, you'll have the answer to that. Um, okay. I would do it for you other than I'd forget that I was doing a radio show. I'd but also, uh, don't I think you probably need, unless you're familiar, you probably need some advice about how to sure. do things. Sure. Yeah, I would want you to look that up. I wouldn't want to go off my 20%, you know, but uh, I don't know if you can look that up, Ryan, or if Paul, if you're listening to the but show. But even if it is 20%, though, there may be other kinds of uh, uh, ways of dealing with it that uh, oh sure there um, there are ways of trying to minimize that for sure and there is some there are some estate planning issues that you need to think about if you if you're in that situation uh, but and, and uh, is, yeah Ryan so it looks like the uh, estate tax for Illinois is graduated and the top rate is sixteen percent so we're okay. real close we're hitting the top end of it okay so at, at most it looks like it's about sixteen percent but you'd want to verify that with your estate planning attorney. Okay, so you're saying, yeah, I will verify it. So, you, so right off the top of your head, you're thinking it's sixteen percent. That's the for anything that's over the max. No, right? Does it give you the uh, the graduation? There is a graduation schedule. You can search online. I went to just okay. smartasset.com. Uh, they have an estate planning site for the uh, state of Illinois, and it does show Illinois state tax rates graduated. And that's for the estate taxes, the death taxes. Yes, right, correct. Well, what's the lowest rate? Yeah. Do you have that? Uh, let's see, zero point eight percent. So okay, you so. got to get well above the four million dollars before you got hit with the uh, the high rate. Mm -hmm. So oh, so you have to be a long ways past four million to be hit with the sixteen percent. Yeah, that's what it's looking like here. And uh, if you just what I did again, just Google Illinois state uh, estate tax. And that's what came okay. up real quickly. Yeah. This is a case though where okay. you really need, yeah. This we're, is, we're, we're if you're that close, I think you want to, what you really want to do is is really work with an estate planning attorney and your yep. CPA. And uh, yep. but I think you're going to find that you can still have a pretty good amount of money. I think it's a, when I think of the families that I know that have several hundred million or a billion dollars. That's where it really mm -hmm. becomes a big issue. I think sure. uh, you know you want to minimize anything you can do, particularly through equalization, et cetera, between uh, yep. if you're married, yep. and and th that's going to count. Most people are going to be able to find a way to be under that limit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. And if we have we find out more about the graduation levels, you know, like up to this, it's this. Uh, we'll announce that. Um, okay. So. One of the other things you wrote, Ryan, about having sufficient assets or insurance to provide for loved ones. Yeah. Um, where does that enter into all this? So I think this one's kind of like one you probably don't think about as much, but um, one of the greatest things you can do uh, for your family is to make sure that if you were to, to die prematurely, uh, that your family is taken care of. You don't pass on any burden financially that they couldn't afford. Um, so I had talked about two different perspectives. One maybe is the older couple or maybe just someone who's um, late into their career, they've chances are built up a lot of financial assets already. They're at the peak potentially earning years. So they have the ability to self-insure 
And what I mean by that is they simply have the money that they could pay off debts if they have any still, if they die early. Um, and then the alternative is someone who maybe hasn't built up that critical mass yet, or they're just younger, someone like myself in their 30s. Um, I haven't had that long of a work career to have that much assets. So maybe life insurance is something that is a, a critical uh, point of making sure that if you do pass away early, you have the ability to have insurance that would pay for maybe your home mortgage or any outstanding college debt or just any debt at all so that your family can keep living without further turmoil or having to be uprooted from the home or scrape by. And the good news is, uh, you know, the term insurance has come a long way as far as it, the cost of term insurance is just continues to drop. And it's so favorable in pricing. And, of course, that's the kind we recommend. Uh, I won't speak for you, Fred. I'm talking about the Rudy Wealth <laughs> Management folks. Uh, we always recommend that people pick up term insurance and not whole life or permanent or universal or variable or any of those types of insurance. So you're much better off using the term insurance, regardless of what the industry is going to tell you that we're crazy. Uh, but that's just our view. We've done the math, um, and uh, that's the way I would go. So for when you're talking about the people your age, the 30-somethings, uh, you're talking about being able to buy an incredible amount of coverage. Uh, it certainly is in the reach of most people, mm -hmm. and it's certainly something that before almost anything else, you make you have to make sure that you protect what you have and the people that you care about. You can probably go out 20 years. with a uh, You can go out 30, 30 years 30. now, yeah, and so. I think some of them now are even longer, yeah. but you can certainly go 20 to 30-year term, which is going to be a period that's going to take care of most people's needs, mm -hmm. most people. Of course, every situation is different. You have to think about yours. There may be special needs and special reasons for you to uh, that you need it for a longer period of time. The final one in this uh, blog, and it sounds self-serving, but it always strikes my memory. You know, I, I can think of so many clients that came to me uh, or came to us where one of the purposes for seeking out an advisor was maybe that particular spouse didn't feel the need but it's just in case something happened to them it's not unusual for one spouse to be more dominant on the financial side than the other and it's not always the guys it can be female as well um, and it's really important i think and i have a large number of clients that have come to me just for that reason that well if something happens to me i want to have a a, a trusting relationship that i can develop while i'm alive so that if something happens to me, I know that my spouse is going to be taken care of and is not going to be taken advantage of. Yeah. Where, where were you going with that? I, I think you summed it up quite well, and I was going to actually try to to phrase this question to you, but you got excited and jumped me on it here. But I was going to say, I'm sure you could think of many times with clients who probably could handle their own financial wherewithal and, and manage their own investments perfectly fine on their own. I had, had I had a client that came to me that had terminal uh, terminal. Uh, condition and nobody in his family knew it at that point I was the only other person on the planet earth that knew it and his sole purpose of coming to me was he had listened to the radio show for years and felt like he had developed some kind of a relationship with me just through maybe you know 20 years of just listening to a consistent message whatever it was he felt compelled to go reach out and find an advisor because his concern was his spouse will go through that money like Grant through Richmond uh, if he wakes up or when he wakes up on a cloud. And he did. And uh, and what I basically pledged to him is, look, I'll do everything I can legally do to, to stand in between that, you know, uh, overspending 
and causing a financial problem. So I, it's a personal thing to me because, you know, that doesn't have to happen to you too many times where you kind of start getting it that, wow, there's there's some, a lot of power to what a financial advisor can bring to a family. Yeah, and it's not, and not all financial. Sometimes it's just support. And I, I think that's sometimes overlooked. So that was a good blog, and I think it's those are all good things to think about, you know, especially, yeah, Fred? Well, I was going to add one more thing, which is really, sure. it's like zero instead of one, but the, the emergency fund is still very important, and, and it's come to my attention that, uh, just reading some things recently, that uh, quite a few people actually break into their uh, 401ks or 403bs, so you think of an emergency fund not as an investment, but actually it's a way to protect your uh, tax-advantaged uh, investment. So having that there doesn't uh, force you to move into the, uh, the retirement area to get your funds. Because it's just too hard to put it back. It's just too hard from, you know, I always say human nature is a failed investor, and that's that's certainly one of those areas where it shows up a lot. I try to counsel younger people that will listen to me. I said, look, you can't make a good business decision as a very young person until you have $10,000 in the bank. I don't know if 10000 is the real number or not, but I know you could make a better decision where it comes to buying something, uh, an opportunity shows up if you have ten or 20000 in the bank versus you're basically betting scared money or that losing you don't your, have. Or losing your job and having to move to another job. Right, and I, I think that's underappreciated, Fred. I think I'm glad you brought it up, is this... You can do all these, you can be on path to doing all these things correctly, you know, saving, allocating properly, doing it in the right areas, being tax smart as you can. But you always have to be make sure that you're vaccinated against the common curveballs, as we call them. Uh, and one of the big ones, as you mentioned, is job interruption. And the best way to deal with that is have six months or nine months, depending on the type of career you have, set aside in monthly spending uh, so that think about the power of that. It's same thing with kids coming out of college with a lot of debt. They don't have the same options as children that don't have debt. In other words, they're much more tempted to take the lesser job, the job that's not really the one they want. Maybe it's not the best best stepping stone in their career simply because in you know three months after college or six months after college, you got these pretty significant payments. I think the same thing can be held true for people without uh, adequate uh, financial reserves uh, is even if it comes to taking a new job, losing a job, and you lose your job, and now you have to search for a new job, are you going to be tempted to take a job that really maybe is not the best in your stepping stone? So it even it even impacts the 50-year-old as much as the 20-year-old. Certainly, and I had written a blog a little while back about the value of having an emergency fund, and not even just the value, the, the extreme importance and the essential need to do so. And uh, maybe Paul Jr. can put that up on the, the Facebook Live post today as another link. Uh, yes, I, I think he can, he can certainly do that. You can certainly find it at RudyWealth.com. Uh, and Paul's listening to the show, so I'm sure he'll make sure that that's available. Um, I have another thing to go into. I was going to go into six answers uh, to questions that you want uh, before you retire, but I think I might postpone that. We have about 10 minutes here. I may get into a little bit about it, but I came across something actually that Paul sent me. You know, about 88-year-old Warren Buffett, and we always consider him as one of the best investors in the world. I, you know, I don't know if, if, if that's true or not. It certainly seems like it's warranted. Uh, and, and Paul does have the link up. I just got a message from him. So if you want to get that uh, link on reserves. Uh, this goes back to his 1994 annual meeting for Berkshire Hathaway. And I always 
like to go back to some of his and Fred I wouldn't be surprised if you do too he wrote we are going to be buyers of things over time and if you're going to be buyers of groceries over time you like grocery prices to go down if you're going to be buying cars over time you like the car prices to go down we buy businesses we buy pieces of businesses stocks and we're going to be much better off if we can buy those things at an at an attractive price than if we can't I think that probably relates into we just fresh went through what I'm going to consider a bear market from a global perspective uh, at the last quarter of last year and people can get really uptight and it's natural to get uptight when you're retired uh, you're not accumulating you're actually spending some of your assets you no longer have a paycheck uh, that's something that needs to be dealt with between a financial advisor and, and make the changes that temporarily that you need to make but when I think of all these youngins Fred uh, uh, I you know I can't tell you the times when I go talk to my 401k plans the first time there's a 10 or a 15 percent decline even the youngest are the ones that seem to get most disturbed and I keep yeah. I keep trying to tell them look if the rule for retirement was whoever ends up with the most cans of tuna fish gets the best retirement uh, you know when you go to the store like Warren Buffett's talking about when tuna goes from two dollars a can to a dollar a can you don't run out of the store. You go load up, and it sounds cliche-ish, but it's it's helpful to think of it this way. What you would naturally do human nature is you'd go in and buy as many cans as you could at, when they were down 50% off before you even called your friends and family to make sure that you got your allotment. Eventually, the manager is going to realize there's mispricing, and they're going to get it back to where it was. Um, I try to tell people that are in the accumulation phase of life, Whoever ends up with the most shares of stock, index, mutual funds get the best retirement. And as long as you believe that there is a permanent uptrend in prices, and historically that's been the case, now nobody can suggest that that's a lock that it will be, but unless you have a declinist view that that we've seen the best of, of a society and the best of what the innovators and the great thinkers can do, um, you'd have to probably conclude that that permanent uptrend of some sort, we may not know the magnitude of the slope, but it's positive. Then I would hope that people would look at periods like the last quarter of last year as accumulators, as, as accumulators of the great companies of America and the world would look at that as a gift from heaven, if not anything else. And I think that article that Paul sent got to that. Well, I see we have a caller. It's Stan. Stan, you're on Paul Rudy's On The Money. Hey. Young people saving stand, that's what you have up. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yes, sir. I know I was an insurance agent. I was I, an insurance agent for more than 20 years. I didn't know that. And, uh, well, I did investments towards the end of my career. Okay. And yada, yada, yada. But I started out in insurance. And uh, when I was counseling uh, new high school graduates, new college graduates on, on what the best thing to do with their money was, I, I, I said, the first thing you need to do is you need to get six months to the year of cash in the bank. And they would, and they would say, well, I brought you here to sell me health insurance. <laughs> right. And well, I, I don't want to sell you health insurance until you've got money saved in the bank. Because the first thing that you lose if you get sick is your health insurance, your life insurance, et cetera, et cetera. First thing you need to do is to get that six months to a year of savings in the bank, and then we'll have a little bit of wiggle room to try to protect it because the purchase of insurance for health purposes only protects somebody else's money. 
If you're if you don't have any money, you're protecting your doctor's money. You're protecting your hospital's money. You're protecting somebody else's money. So first thing you do, get the money in the in in the bank. Did you get them to do it? Sometimes. What percent of people? Probably one of the reasons. That's probably one of the reasons why I didn't sell very many uh, policies <laughs> to people in their early 20s. Well, you know, we kind of kid about that, but it does make it harder uh, when you're willing to tell the unvarnished truth, even if it causes somebody to walk out the door, as I put it. And uh, I know what that feels like. Uh, you know, uh, if you feel strong enough about it, you just have to say, well, they don't want to listen to me next. So I can identify with that. You can tell people what they need to do, but sometimes they just want to hear what they want to hear. And it's sometimes you just can't cross that bridge and you can only help people that you wanted to be helped. And uh, just a, go ahead. Just a very brief, yes, sir. brief personal aside. Yes. Um, I'm no saint by any stretch of the imagination, but I quit two jobs and got fired from another because I insisted on doing the right thing. Uh, I believe it. I think uh, uh, we've all known of that to happen. We've all been probably from time to time, but in positions where it was very stressful. Uh, and it's always hard to know what to do. So, uh, hey, you know, you get to look in the mirror and you get paid in the Cosmic Bank, Stan. Yep. But I've got a lot less money in savings than I would have if I'd have uh, gone for the money. Well, I think there's a lot of people that can say that, Stan. All right, Stan. Yep. Thanks, thanks for calling in today. Yep. Have a great you day. Guys. Right. Bye. Yeah, a quick aside. Yes, uh, insurance is <laughs> is complicated, and I, I wish I had known what I know now, thirty or forty yeah. years ago. Because I I have some uh, life insurance that, hybrid kind of things that look really great, but now uh, it turns out that the uh, premiums weren't guaranteed. So, right, uh, and, uh, and, and and a lot of the uh, uh, illustrations and the forecasts of what the insurance companies can pay have failed uh, in many. Because of low interest rates because for a long time. Primarily low interest rates. We had epic low interest rates for 10-plus years. Uh, it's hard to factor that in probably when they were pricing those. The yeah. same thing happened uh, when you talk about insurance. Health care had happened, and we know that that happened in long-term care insurance where they where you used the mortality tables from 1983. Uh, and so they got that wrong because people are living a lot longer than what they had thought, and then they thought about 5% of the people in any given years that were paying into long-term care insurance would stop paying. Uh, it turned out to be a fraction of that. And yeah, it's a different world because in, in most businesses, you don't want to lose your customers. But in the insurance business, losing a customer means you keep the money and they uh, go they on their way out. Yeah, you know, financial life is difficult. Um, there's no question about it. We, we've, I've done this show for almost 30 years now, and I... And I, I look at people, and I look at how people behave, and I sit back and think and observe, and it, 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 there's an immense amount, you know, the information that's at our fingertips today is compared to when I first started in 1984. I mean, it's just a different world, but yet it appears to me, and I think it's a human nature thing, nothing has changed. People are just as confused. They make the same tragic mistakes over and over and over again. They still confuse a short-term temporary decline as something they need to be concerned about, and they, you know, they pull away and they can't see. They focus so closely at the near-term decline that they, they can't step back and focus on the long-term, lifetime, permanent uptrend. Uh, so it's tough. That's where a good advisor uh, comes in hand, 
and I think they can add a lot of value to your life. So it's something people ought to think about is going out and searching for a real excellent advisor. Well, guys, we're at the time of our end of the show. Uh, Dr. Fred, glad to have you in the studio. Ryan, same for you. Everybody else, have a great weekend. Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.